Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about the sins of the Father. Before I jump into today's content, though, I want to remind you of a few things that are available over at chrismoles.org. In particular, is PeaceWorks University. You've heard me talk about PeaceWorks University. It is our online membership site. About 160 members uh, are part of PeaceWorks University, and you are welcome to join. Uh, PeaceWorks University houses a vault of my past teachings about a hundred hours of video content is in there as well as monthly toolbox items masterclass interviews with experts in the area of domestic violence prevention and intervention monthly q a's uh, through our private facebook group the private facebook community that we're all a part of and in 2020 we've been doing watch-alongs of the IBCD observation videos. We'll be looking for another bonus to add to the monthly deliverables for 2021. But uh, if you're looking for a resource, something to expand beyond what you're learning through the PeaceWorks podcast, I think PeaceWorks University is the natural next step. And so be sure to check that out at chrismoles.org. All right, so I said we were going to talk a little bit today about the sins of the Father. This is actually something that I stumbled upon as I was preparing for a talk uh, for my friend Leslie Vernick. Many of you guys know Leslie, know of her work, and you can find out more about her at leslievernick.com. Uh, I was in, at the time of this recording, I was in Arizona last week. Uh, teaching at a few events, including a church-wide event for Redemption Church, a leadership event for Compass Church, and then on Friday was able to spend some time at the Vernick House uh, recording and uh, I should say going live via video for her first ever digital conference. So Leslie has hosted the Conquer Conference for several years now. She uh, has founded and runs the Conquer Community for ladies and uh, has been running a conference the last few years. Well, this year, due to COVID-19, they decided to make the Conquer Conference a digital conference. And so I got to be a part of that. I was told I was the first man to be part of the Conquer stage, to be on the stage, and that was quite a privilege. And one of my talks, I believe it was the breakout that I did, was on the idea of helping our sons not repeat the behavior of their fathers. And part of that talk was to take a look at this biblical principle of the sins of the father. You know, this has never really been a key issue for me or something that was a part of my uh, theological background. Although I was familiar with the terminology and I have heard many of my friends talk about or even preach about the idea of generational curses or so on, Uh, This was my first real exposure to the idea uh, of the sins of the Father in regards to um, teaching it myself. And so I was excited to dive into the concept, and I learned a great deal. I want to just cover some of that uh, 
you know, basics with you guys on the podcast today because, you know, I came away with a conclusion that I hope will be helpful and hopeful for anybody struggling with this idea of, you know, because my children have been exposed to abuse, do they, will they themselves be abusive? Um, and certainly, you know, statistically from a, a, just an observational standpoint, there's some reasons to have concern. I mean, obviously individuals exposed to certain behavior are more likely to copy that behavior or more likely to normalize that behavior. As I shared in my talk, you know, if you consider adverse childhood behavior, such as what's measured in what we call the, the ACEs score, the adverse childhood experiences score, you know, higher scores do lend themselves to um, greater risk. However, the, the question is, is it determinative? Like, just because someone experiences a, an adverse um, experience, just because someone has a uh, traumatic childhood, for instance, are they are they broken? Or is it determinative? Is it a causative effect that they will, in fact, be, you know, a certain way? And I think that's uh, something that we can push back on. Uh, something that we have to be aware of for sure, but we can push back on and say, you know, one of the things that's great about God's grace and his provision and his character is that we don't have to be a certain way. We don't have to repeat the quote-unquote sins of the Father. You know, sometimes I hear those passages read, and there's a handful of them, primarily in the Old Testament, and they are read with kind of a deterministic certainty. Uh, But I'm not convinced that that's the way in which uh, those scriptures are intended to be read. In fact, that's much more consistent with the secular, or I should say the kingdom of the world parallels that exist in ancient literature. There were several other poets and, and ancient writers who used very similar language um, that were much more deterministic, where the Old Testament has these uh, principles connected to the notion of the sins of the Father that that I think are really, really powerful. So I want to read one of those passages to you today, and then I just want to walk through, you know, what the five most suggested treatment options for childhood trauma uh, that I've come across, and then compare them to the wisdom of Exodus 34. Uh, let's take a look at the passage. I'm going to be reading Exodus 34, 6 through 7a. Uh, 20 different times in the Bible, there's a reference made to this this concept. And we're we're just going to read this one because I think this one passage just sums it up pretty nicely. So in Exodus 34, starting in verse 6, we read this. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Like that's one of my favorite little descriptions of God's character. And in that passage, he lists this uh, uh, grouping of virtues that are descriptive of God. I would actually contend, too, that these are seen and evidenced in the life of Jesus. Right? So the Lord, the Lord God... Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, uh, abounding in love and kindness, abounding in truth, 
Loving kindness is given to, to thousands. He forgives iniquity, forgives transgression, he forgives sin. And yet, the passage says, so the next verse uh, gives us a little bit of, uh, of a caveat. He says, and yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So God is just visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, I've heard many, many times more, again, of a deterministic approach to this type of uh, passage or teaching. It's like, you know, even the children can't expe- can escape the consequences of their father. And, and that's true to a great degree. In fact, I think what's maybe more likely is rather than God's wrath being poured out on children and grandchildren is that the consequences of one sin has long-lasting effects, and it can affect your kids, and it can affect your grandkids. The the world would observe this and call it historical trauma, right? So the way in which uh, the places that you were born, the situations you were born into, the decisions of your parents have lasting effects from, you know, again, generation to generation. But the question I would have is, is this the heart of this little passage? Is really the goal of this passage to teach us that our consequences are long-lasting and that we will suffer the effects or the from the choices of our father's sin? And I think for me what really stands out is um, the, the yet, the comparison or the contrast uh, between the sins of the father, right, um, and the character and the quality of God. In fact, I want to just quickly walk you through five treatment protocols that are often suggested. Now, some will hear this and they'll accuse me of being an integrationist or they'll say, see, Chris, you know, is is psychological or Chris is secular. All I'm saying is I want you to just consider the world's approach to adverse experience, the world's approach to a child growing up in an environment like um, domestic abuse, and then compare that to God's treatment protocol as far back as Exodus chapter 34. We're not talking just a few years ago. We're talking thousands of years ago. God is, in many ways, for lack of a better word, grounding and relating to his people in redemptive ways that it's taken us generations to catch up to see the benefit of that. So, so just, just consider this for a second. The five most common treatment protocols I've been exposed to for adverse childhood experiences um, are the following. Number one is connection and attachment. Many children experience detachment. Uh, as a result of trauma and adverse experiences. And this is true and can be true of children in homes who witness domestic abuse. And so what do we do? Well, uh, experts often focus on rebuilding relationships, connecting to family values and history, um, establishing a connection to safety and meaning. Now that's kind of vague, but what is it that God's doing in Exodus 34? Why reveal his character if he's not um, intending to contrast it with the sins of the Father? The character of God is what we should be connected to. 
and attached to. Uh, really consider it as you're thinking the detachment that comes from witnessing the sins of the father, as the, the phrase goes, the witnessing your dad's mistreatment of your mom, for instance. And what is God's remedy? He is kind, right? The Lord is compassionate and gracious and has loving kindness. He is this person of character. He is a father of high character when your father perhaps fails. The second treatment protocol is safety and empowerment. Uh, experts would say that you know when a child experiences adverse conditions, safe contexts for the relationships are necessary to move forward. We're looking to establish safety. Um, the third is value. We're looking to establish value. So attachment, right? Connection to relationship. Again, we would say the attributes of God are what we should be connecting to. Uh, safety and empowerment. What's more safe than the loving kindness of God, who is available for thousands, according to the passage, right? Uh, and then value, right? Exposing them to ideas of perseverance and guidance and collaboration. Again, connecting back to the character of God. You see what God's doing is long before we develop any type of treatment protocol for detachment or for children and adverse experiences, God already knew the need to connect us to a heavenly father that was far superior to the sins of the father. So the contrast is here. You know, you're, you're looking and you're in need of connection. Well, I'm the God of loving kindness and truth. You're in need of safety and empowerment. Well, I'm the God who's slow to anger, and I'm the God who forgives transgression. You're looking for value, right? What is where is meaning in all of this? Well, I am the 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 God of truth, right? We're looking third, fourth, I should say, <clears throat> for skills. Skill building. So what experts are saying now, we need attachment, safety, value, and skill building. Experiences, right, and care that's meaningful. Connecting individuals to experiences and care and tools that are meaningful. Again, what would be more beneficial, right, to his people than these character qualities that he presents in Exodus 34, what type of skill do we need? We need the same skill, right, that uh, God is demonstrating. Think of it this way. Move away for just a moment from the deterministic view of the sins of the Father, that I'm trapped, right? <clears throat> that I'm trapped in the cycle of my dad because what God is offering us is a new cycle, right? Right? And this is, again, is reiterated throughout the New Testament. Consider the passages that call us to progressive sanctification, to the putting off and the putting on. Does not the New Testament play a very similar pattern, except they flip the script, right? Moving from sin to righteousness, comparing and contrasting things. I'll give you an example. We, in, uh, in our work, often compare and contrast the heart of violence, what we call the heart of violence, with the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. We also see this in almost every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, <clears throat> where during the practical theological pieces, he invites people to put off aspects of things like um, anger, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4. 
and to develop righteous forms of anger. <clears throat> Excuse me. In uh, 432, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So the world calls us to reattachment, healthy attachment, uh, to safety and empowerment, to value, to skill building. God calls us back to his character, which I'm going to suggest accomplishes all of these things. Fifth, uh, the world would say we need hope. Children of adverse experiences, ones who experience the sins of the Father, what do they need? They need attachment, connection, right? They're saying they need safety, empowerment, value, new skills, and hope. Is this new information, or has God been building this into the hearts of his people uh, since Exodus? I would contend the latter, that God has been building these same qualities in his people since Exodus, that he's been calling his people to virtue, to character, to the deep contrast, the significant contrast of the Father, the sins of the Father, and the character of God. I don't think this changed uh, when the New Testament was written. We were given the person of Jesus, and now we contrast again, right, the sins of the Father, the historic trauma that we've experienced, and the character of Christ. Let's just take a brief look at what God, God has said about himself. I mean, if you look again at the passage, he is compassionate. He's moved with compassion. We see that in Jesus' character as well. Who saw us, saw his people as sheep without a shepherd, harassed, filleted, I think the word may be. He was moved with compassion, right? Instead of entitlement and selfishness. Certainly children who grow up in homes surrounded by domestic abuse have selfishness and entitlement modeled for them. And God is offering a contrast to the sins of the father. God says he's gracious. He shows favor to people who don't deserve it. He um, gives way. He is um, full of grace. That's quite a contrast to a child who grows up in a home where everybody has to walk on eggshells, where judgment is the rule of the day. He's slow to anger. He has every reason to enact anger, to be a person of wrath, and yet he withholds it from his people because of his great love. He's slow to anger. Contrast that with a child who grows up in a home where we talk about things like short fuse or quick-tempered. All of those are excuses for someone who is willing to punish, right, rather than to hold off on the execution of judgment. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. He's, he's overflowing with loving kindness. He, he does good things for his kids. God really cares about us. Contrast that, right, with a home of abuse, with the sins of the father, who again is selfish, who sees people as tools to be used rather than individuals to be loved. He does go on to say, he keeps loving kindness for thousands. He's generous with his love. He's generous with his kindness. And he forgives. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now he's just. He's just 
Um, and he understands that the sins of the father have generational consequences. But what would it look like if we move from this deterministic, you know, you can't outgrow where you're from. You know, I heard that growing up when I decided to leave home for a brief period of time, and now I'm back. And to study the Bible, you know, the comments were made. Uh, and here's, I'm going to say it in, in Appalachian slang, so so listen, it's going to be a little quick. Um, you've gotten too big for your raisins, which is you are bigger than your raisings. It's your your thinking ahead of your class, <clears throat> right? You're stepping out of the way we raised you. You're too big for your raisins. So, <clears throat> excuse me, some of us have this deterministic view of, you know, growing up in, in trauma, growing up in abuse, witnessing abuse, that there's a deterministic, you're going to be broken. You know what? There's a lot of things that could go wrong. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of contributors, right? The well-worn path, a lot of lights leading in the wrong direction. But that doesn't negate hope. And for those of us who are in Christ, the hope is that the character of God is far more significant and worthy of pursuing, right, than the sins of the Father. Well, I hope this has been helpful. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Um, we would love to continue to dialogue with you, so please stay connected to the podcast. We love having you as part of the team. Um, be sure to rate and review. Let us know that you're listening. Um, we would really, really appreciate that. Of course, if you'd like to learn more and uh, maybe step into a little bit more of a dialogue, we would love to see you over at chrismoles.org. Consider checking out PeaceWorks University in particular. Uh, this It's kind of the expansion of everything that we do in the podcast. So um, please consider uh, being part of PeaceWorks University. All right. Thanks again, guys. We appreciate you so much. Until next time, God bless.